Children in Need was rolled out last week, and, despite Terry Wogan's absence, the majority of the money is set to be going to the Junior Whites to try and get them to smile for the first time in four years. And the Sturridge got a new foot injury on Thursday before the game against Bordeaux. Klopp letting him out of the house was one of the riskiest things done since Monica Lewinsky. It's the 10th of December, and you're listening to Talking Trotters. I'm Alastair Sledge, we've got a great show for you tonight, coming to you delayed because of reasons. Dan Wimbush will be joining us, but first, what's been happening? Sam Burgess completed his switch back to Rugby League this week after his poor performance in the World Cup. I didn't watch much of the Rugby World Cup and so I turned to the media to tell me what to think, as you do, and they explained that he was scapegoated. Or was he? Yes. But perhaps not. But in a way, of course. But then again, not at all. The only thing I could really take away is it is that oath for hire and theory of evolution disruptor Stuart Lancaster apparently needed to go. Sebastian Coe, running man, woke up to shocking news last week that athletics has a doping problem. Or did he? Some are saying that athletics has long been aware of the extent of doping in its sport, however it refused to acknowledge it, until this summer when the Sunday Telegraph exposed the skeletons in their closet, which later just turned out to be very thin marathon runners. Coe may, however, have a conflict of interest. He was employed by Nike to be a special advisor who sponsored the Russian athletics team and whose hometown, Eugene in Washington, has recently been awarded the 2021 Athletics World Championships without really a bidding process. Hmm. As of yesterday, Coe has resigned from his ambassadorial and advisory role at Nike. Blackburn, known wretched hive of scum and villainy, have appointed Paul Lambert as their manager. Our most recent game, I'm sure I don't need to remind you, was televised and exposed the lack of exciting football from both teams to the entire nation. To solve that, they they turned to Paul Lambert. Oh dear. Most journalists have focused on Lambert's face, which looks revitalised after leaving Aston Villa. I guess that's what Birmingham does to you. We'll be right back. Welcome back. This has been a very busy period for Wanderers fans, with takeover talks dominating the headlines for weeks. You might have got lost, so let us, together, take a trip down memory lane. After a Daily Mail piece alleging that the club was going into administration, to which Bolton responded by saying, Old Yeller is fine, we began to feel more nervous than ever. Then, we created a story through our patented generator, where Dan shouts a random name, Rob gives a surname, Leon gives an activity and Chris tries to rap about it, and we came up with the fact that Dean Holsworth was looking to take over Bolton Wanderers. We published it in three parts, just, you know, because. You, our beloved readership, responded almost unanimously with bollocks. Then we create... The story was then picked up by friend of the site, Mark Isles, and the Bolton News, as it started to gain traction, quicker than the male toilet queue at a Taylor Swift gig. Then, Holdsworth quit his managerial job hours after the news broke. 
This was mostly greeted with a debate about how long you can reasonably dislike someone for missing an almost open goal. At this point, people were acting like excited kids at Christmas, but instead of family feuds and disappointing selection boxes, we had family feuds and good news. As the clock ticked on, people began to speculate about investors and the future of Bolton's staff. And then, bad news. Phil Gartside was taken ill very suddenly, and Trevor Birch was appointed as an advisor to the board, serving as an almost interim chairman. His achievements are readily available, and he is set to be the man to secure the takeover deal. The Oracle told us that Trevor Birch would be the one. If you took the piss out of Gartside, by the way, for his health problems, then screw you. You don't have to like the man or even agree with him. All you have to do is just show some respect. The same fans who claim Bolton Wanderers is a family, no matter which manager or chairman is at the helm, were the same ones who were openly ridiculing what could have been a serious medical incident. And people say that we are cynical. You, of course, have the right to say whatever you like. Just don't be an arse about it to a man who, despite whatever failings you may accuse him of, loves the club just like the rest of us. Then, after this, came the storm of names, with Amir Khan being falsely linked to investment, and even Stelios getting mentioned as a potential partner. The only way this could get any crazier is if Eddie Davies opened his emails and agreed to trade Bolton Wanderers with a Nigerian prince in exchange for a contested oil field. Later to find out that that Nigerian prince was the one true king of the nation, J.J. Kocha. In an interview on the Bolton website, Trevor Birch then revealed that Eddie Davies had agreed to wipe the debt that Bolton owed him, and I almost had a heart attack. Scenes resembling when Roberto Benini won an Academy Award occurred at Love Towers, and Twitter did what it does best, call us jammy. So, at the moment, a takeover deal is being negotiated, however it isn't imminent. Jamie wrote an excellent piece on how we may be getting swept up in the excitement and forgetting the serious problems which the club faces, no matter which owner. However, if it doesn't happen, the club will continue to wither and go even closer to embargoes and administration. The success of the new owners will rely on investment and managerial appointments, two areas where we don't know where Sports Shield stand. We don't know Dean Shareholdsworth. That, that works if you don't look too much into it. So now we play the waiting game. Other bizarre things that occurred during that week were Hilary DeVay kind of hinting that she was interested in a takeover in a bizarre exchange on Twitter. No further news on that. And a winding up petition was issued to Bolton Wanderers with the deadline of January 19th. Which means that if we don't pay £600,000 worth of tax by then, then we're going into administration, which is a compulsory 12-point deduction. Hmm. That'll be us pretty much sunk, I think. Ah, well, nothing we can do about it. Just got to sit tight and hope. Abuse the news this week, and the first contender comes from Down Under. An eight-year-old boy began to sing the Australian national anthem when he got a bad case of the hiccups, forcing the baseball players to stifle their laughter. Here's the clip. It's adorable. Secondly, the floods have caused a lot of devastation and the difficulty the families affected must be facing must be absolutely unbearable. But then again, three carp were found in Carlisle's goal area, so that's, that's pretty funny. They are all alive and well, so that's something. The winner this week is going to be the kid because it's just so darn adorable. What with all the madness going on, it might have been easy for us to forget that we actually had a game this week. 
Reading beat us 2-1 at the Madstad in a game that was dominated by off-the-pitch incidents. God knows what's going on with Bolton backstage, and at Reading, Steve Clark had apparently been flirting with Fulham in scenes resembling the signs from Love Actually. The eagle-eyed among you will have known I've used that joke before, but I don't care. On the pitch, Ali El Habsu put in a man-of-the-match performance to keep the Wanderers at bay in the opening 20 minutes. After failing to capitalise, Reading scored after a defensive error from Prince and then again after a long shot. The eagle-eyed among you will have noticed I've used that one before, but unfortunately this time I do care. Feeney, our third-choice penalty-taker it seems, converted an 80th-minute penalty after Medine was brought down in the box. And joining us to go through the game this week is Daniel Wimbush. How are you doing, Dan? Yeah, I'm not so bad, sir. I'm I'm doing all right. Now I did see over the weekend that uh, the football blog awards you too left empty-handed. It appeared. Yeah, we did, but uh, for, very fortunately we were there, so we did get to see John Barnes performing "Rapper's Delight" on stage. So uh, that the Sugar Hill Gang to, song. It, yeah, he did indeed. He got oh there. my god! He was about to present an award to do it because um, he felt he was in the shadow of Stan Collymore. So uh, got up and did that. So it made the long trip up to Salford worthwhile, even if we did leave empty-handed. But we lost out to a couple of really good blogs, so can't really complain too much, I suppose. No, exactly, and it's always good to see SB Nation brothers in arms uh, up there. And one of us took home an award, the uh, Barca Barca Belgrade, yeah. Yeah, they did, and again, a much-deserved award for them. So it was nice to see uh, one of our comrades pick up a gong. So uh, hopefully it's us or one of the two of us next year. But uh, yeah, not entirely convinced of the selection process for it. But um, whatever <laughs> the case, it was still nice to get recognition nonetheless. A very odd Bolton Reading bomb that would be hard to explain to anyone that isn't the blogging circles, I imagine. But um, yeah, right. So we played each other at the weekend. And funnily enough, my first Bolton game uh, was at Reading. It was at the Majeski Stadium. It was uh, it was almost two years ago now, and it was a certain game that ended seven one. Oh, it was my uh, yeah. I was sitting in the away end with my mates, with uh, on my birthday, and uh, that happened. So I've not lived that quite down yet. Is so, any consolation? One of my very first running games happened to end uh, in a four three win for Bolton at Wembley. And oh, <laughs> so uh, yes. I think, uh, think we both had our share of pain watching each other's teams over the years. It's kind of like mutually assured destruction, isn't it? <laughs> but, <yeah. laughs> Absolutely. But uh, this time, you came away the victors, uh, 2-1. Now, we were chatting about earlier, and it seemed like you were very impressed with Bolton in the first 20 minutes. Could you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, I wouldn't go so much, but very impressed. I was impressed with the way that made our defence look bang average. I mean, it's the typical curse of the X, though, Ali Al-Habsi pulling off three ridiculous saves inside those first 20 minutes and you were getting, beginning to fear the worst as a Reading fan obviously we had all the drama with Steve Clark leading up to the game we were winless in five as well and it was just the sort of game where you could see Bolton getting a goal and then hanging on to it and the crowd turn, the crowd were already turning against Reading just before we scored um, but you know as the Reading fans saying to, to your supporters that's why you're going down you know you had those chances and Regardless that there were good saves from Al Habsi, the fact he didn't put one in the back of the net means that a, a team with the quality that we've got, we're always sort of likely to nick one. And as soon as Reading go ahead, um, and especially definitely when the second goal went in from Danny Williams, it was always going to be a, a nearly impossible task to overturn. So, yeah, impressed for 20 minutes. Then, as I said, you lost your way a bit before sort of rallying towards the end. But even after uh, you got the penalty, 
it wasn't exactly the Alamo, and I, I don't think I'll have to make too many saves after that one. No, it seemed like he almost uh, it was almost an error in the uh, the penalty save. It seemed to uh, slip out of his hands as he dived the right way. Yeah, he got a little little bit of a, a hand to it, but just sort of went in. And you know, he's he's a frustrating keeper, and I'm sure Wanderers fans know only too well from his time up there. You know. He, He'll do the brilliant things like that, but we've watched him in sort of two or three games this season concede absolute howlers. Um, he conceded, you know, a free kick against Everton that got us knocked out the cup, and you, you were fearful, especially in his early days at Reading, that you know it was you know Al Flapsy was a guy that was going <laughs> to concede a goal at will. But thankfully, he just seems to have grown, and he's got that confidence behind him. And you know, he was easily man of the match. We ran a poll uh, up on the tile list end after the game, he dominated. I think he was sort of over 98% of the voting. So uh, it's never good when your goalkeeper's man of the match, but I suppose that's what they're there for. Indeed. Uh, well, I've got to ask, even though I'm kind of fearful of the answer, were there any Bolton players that genuinely impressed you during the game? <sighs> Not really. I mean, you've got a lot of useful-looking championship players, and... That will get you so far and it will keep you in games. You know, the likes of Prattley and Amiobi and players like that, they're okay, they know this level, but you're missing star power. You're really missing those people that can take the game by the scruff of the neck and get a goal out of nowhere or put in a brilliant cross to create chances. You've just got a lot of sort of hard workers. I didn't make much of your defence. I thought that the, the sort of I would put, put more of the blame on the defence than Lucas Pearson's hard work for the opener because it should have been cleared. Um, was it Prince, I think, was the defender at hand who didn't quite get it away. That um, sounds like something Prince would do, yes. Yeah, um, sort of just volleyed it sort of straight into uh, Lucas Pearson, who did finish well to his credit. But, yeah, it's just a lot of hard workers who get put themselves about the pitch. But, again, no quality. And unless you get that, you're always going to struggle to win, especially away from home. Mm, and away from home has been something that's been a, uh, a sting in our tail. Uh, throughout our campaign. Now, obviously, you were talking about that star quality. Uh, you appear to have gathered some serious star quality over the uh, over the transfer windows. Uh, Matej Vidra being the most surprising of the lot. Uh, yeah, um, I mean, Vidra's, Vidra was the, the big star name, obviously a former Championship Player of the Year, but you know he's battled with injuries. He's only scored once for us so far, um, and has been sort of in and out the side. He had a knee injury, which is why you only saw him for about 60 seconds or so back at the weekend, so he's sort of been the marquee name, but actually he's not really not really done much to justify his place so far. We're, we're very much waiting to see, uh, reap the benefits of spending two and a half million for a guy that we've only got for about another six months. Two and a half million pounds. It's, it's ridiculous. I mean, that's it's about as much as we've ever paid for a player, I think, just on a one-season loan, but I suppose, you know, if he does get the goals to get you up, that's it's small change, isn't it? Mm. Speaking of that, uh, you're currently seventh, I believe. Do you think you'll be uh, looking up this year? Um, if you'd asked me a few weeks ago, I would have said absolutely nailed on for automatic promotion to the point that I'd uh, play several cheeky tenors around various betting sites and us to win the whole thing. Um, unfortunately, since then, it's just not really gone well. We've lost our key, our key driving force in the midfield, Stephen Quinn. He's been brilliant since coming over from Hull, but we lost him a few games ago. How Robson Canoe who's been a love-hate figure for Reading for years now, uh, was finally showing the form that means that many has been loved universally by Wales fans. We were finally seeing that Robson canoe. He got injured as well, as did Aaron Tishbola, who's one of our best young midfielders uh, to come out of the academy in years. So losing those three, then we've had on-off injuries to the likes of Anton Ferdinand, Paul McShane, 
and Vidra, uh, as I said earlier, means there's just not been a lot of consistency. We did have a big squad. We brought in a lot over the summer, but the replacements have, you know, they've shown why they started the season on the bench. They've not quite been able to step up. So I, I'm, it got to the point where I think, you know, we were five games without a win. We went into Saturday's game, I think, closer to the bottom three points-wise than the top two. So it was beginning to look a bit shaky, but, you know, we got the win on Saturday. We're only, a, I think, a point now off the playoffs. And if you force me to make a prediction, I think we're going to end up in those playoff zones. But the championship's wacky. You know, the last time we went up, we were, I think, about seventh going into Christmas and end up winning the whole thing. So no idea, really. But as I said, if, uh, if you force me to make that call, I think we are going to end up in that top six. How warm that must feel at night. Oh, it, it, is, it is nice, but um, as I mentioned earlier, Reading haven't had the best of luck in playoffs. We've never come through. I think we've lost all five times we've been in that lottery at the end of the season. Um, so, yeah, it won't, be, it won't make for a very pleasant May if we do end up between third and sixth. Mm. Five and Wembley obviously always has a little bit of a stigma with Bolton fans. Yeah, uh. yeah, at least you guys have won, at least you guys have got up through them. Um, as I said, we've just we've been miserable. I said none more so than uh, that that fateful Maybank Holiday weekend in 1995. Mm. Right. Well, before we close, you were talking about uh, Reading's injury problem. Now, Bolton also like to think that they have an injury problem. And to be honest, with an injury list as big as ours is at the moment, we often think we do. Now, do you think there's something in common between Bolton and Reading with their management of injuries, or do you think it's just the nature of how the championship is at the moment, with highly competitive games being played very frequently? I think you've hit the nail on the head. I mean, obviously, if you've got a bit more money and, and some good infrastructure, you can obviously do your best to minimise injuries, but it's just it's the luck of the draw, isn't it? It's you know, I remember we, we seem to always pick up injuries against Leeds, Actually, I don't think that was a coincidence. I think that was just Leeds <laughs> being Leeds. Um, they always seem to uh, send one of our two players out for a few months. But, you know, you can just get those games, can't you? You can get those freak games where you lose a couple of players to injuries or they can just pick them up on the training ground. I don't really think there's a coincidence. I think the only thing you can say is maybe players do that bit more to come back if uh, if their team's doing well than if there's not a sort of good atmosphere around the club. I mean... With the plight you're in now, both on and off the field, you do wonder if they're that player who's maybe not as committed to the club as you know he wants is going to put in that extra five ten percent. But you know we're talking hypotheticals here. I think it's just as you mentioned, it's a very very competitive league. Um, you listen to any interview with any foreign player that comes in, and and they're shocked. I remember Pavel Pogrebniak, our striker, saying it was the toughest league he's ever played in, and he's played in in top leagues in Russia and. Germany, um, as well as the Premier League as well. So it's a tough league. Um, you just got to, you know, it's the luck of the draw, isn't it? You know, you get that season where you stay injury free and you tend to do unsurprisingly much better. So fingers crossed, both of our uh, treatment rooms empty as mm. it comes over the next few months. Mm. And as uh, just to end on the bright side, will we be in the Championship next season? Do you think? And I'm not suggesting that we're going to make a playoff run. In case you're wondering. <laughs> Well, look, as I said uh, at the top, anything can happen at all. And especially down at the bottom, it's a lot easier to get out of the bottom three than it is to get into the top two because a lot of teams around you are, are very inconsistent. We've seen all of the promoted teams struggle. Um, you've got the perennial sort of championship basement dwellers as well. You know, anything can happen. It only takes that one player coming back from injury or someone sparking into form or just getting a couple of jammy wins and, and you can pull off that escape. 
if I again, if I had to make a bet on it, based on what we know of your situation on and off the field at the moment, I don't think it's looking good. But as I said, I think that the bottom three are, especially at this stage in the season, are so fluid that you just need to get yourself out of it. You know, get those couple of grindy jammy wins, and you could have easily got one on Saturday. You know, if one or two of those goals go in, you've got you know a ready team, low on confidence uh, on their knees. So. Again, just need that luck to turn for you, but I'm not overly confident of your chances, I'm afraid. I don't blame you at all. Right, well, we can all find you on the Tilehurst end. Uh, You've been doing some great pieces, obviously, with uh, post-reaction. And obviously, if you just want to become a championship connoisseur, recommend them highly. Absolutely. 75 episodes for your podcast. Yeah, we have, yeah. We've done uh, 75 of our main show, and uh, I think we're probably at about the 30, 40 mark on the uh, podcast extra that we do where we speak to one of the local journos every week. So uh, we like to think there's some good banter on there. Obviously, a little bit inaccessible if you're maybe not a Reading fan, but if you are a Bolton fan that's interested in how we saw the game, um, head over to talasend.com right now. It's episode 75. It's called uh, the, I think it's, oh, I can't remember what I've called it now. It's called the Hokey Clark, the Clarky Hokey Cokey. That's the one. Because he was in and out of Fulham all of last week. <laughs> Um, so yeah, um, the first sort of we talk about Clark for about the first fifteen minutes, and after that, it's a bit of talk about the game. So if you want to see how we saw it, you know, listen to that, or obviously head over to thetalesend.com, uh, and then we've got uh, our post-match reports and ratings and various bits and pieces there. I'm worried I'm going to have to actually name my episodes now rather than just putting the date stamp on them. Oh, it's you know, I, I I'm struggling now. I struggle to think of titles, so uh, I was kind of glad our manager. Do something rather interesting because you get some weeks and it's just what on earth am I going to call this show? So that's why I call the podcast. That's why I do date the podcast extras because uh, otherwise it yeah it starts getting silly. I can imagine. Right, well, thank you for joining us, Dan. Not a problem, Alistair. Thanks very much for having me on. All right then, Dan Wimpersh, everyone. We'll be right back. That was recorded before all the, the crazy stuff went down. Clark Clark is gone now. We then played Brentford in a 1-1 draw that was played out on live television, a frustrating game with a Dan's pile driver rescuing the point. Everyone was, of course, distracted by off-the-field events, which may be why we lost. Or it might just be that we're not particularly good at football. Then the Cardiff game came around and a disappointing 3-2 defeat followed. I was in school and it sounded like yet another aggravating game. We scored twice but still couldn't win, and after that Dobby miss, dear me, someone presented with a sock and tell him to get out of here. So, as one final message to the troubled fans, no matter what happens off the field in the next few weeks, no matter what HMRC throw it is, remember this, we still will not win football matches. Alright, that's our show. My thanks to Dan Wimbush for joining us. He can be found on the Tilehurst end if he hasn't already gone off the grid. They say that if you give an infinite number of monkeys an infinite number of typewriters, they'll eventually write out the works of Shakespeare. We have one up to the monkeys at the line of Vienna Suite as Love Pod 40 will be coming next week, meaning that there are now more episodes of the Love Pod than there are Shakespeare's plays. Take that, culture. Before we get out of here, I'd just like to thank everyone who voted for us in the Football Blog Awards. It was truly an honour to be nominated alongside such great people. Congratulations to Anfield HQ and Barca Baugrau for winning the awards in our category. I love you all, faceless public. What's more, if you'd like to write something for the site or even get on this show get in contact we're always looking for new angles and new ideas this show has taken a lot of time to produce because i lost a lot of the content and i've been juggling literally with lots of things with the school 
The soundtrack to Barnum is permanently etched on my memory, but it was all worth it. We have a New Year's special coming up, so I'll make it up all to you. It's probably going to be an hour long. Kevin Davies couldn't be with us this week, as he is currently stuck in space with Matt Damon. Don't worry, we gave a little girl a few balloons, and he should have a telescope to stare longingly on a world he'll never experience very shortly. I feel like I'm rushing my closing pun. I might need a little bit more time to plan it. I've been Alistair Sledge. Good night.